Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of Weaving Myths Season 3. Weaving Myths is a podcast focused on tabletop role-playing games, and specifically playing them through the play-by-post format. I'm your host, Nathan, and joining me today is Ruben. Hello. And Colin. Evening, everyone. We are all moderators or administrators on Mythweavers, a play-by-post gaming website, and we're here to help you bring your game to the next level. If you're not familiar with Mythweavers, you can find it at myth-weavers.com. As always, we are joined by the impeccable text chat, which members of Mythweavers are using right now to ask questions and contribute to the discussion. If you too would like to be a member of the text chat, feel free to join us on the Weaving Myths Twitch channel every other Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. We're going to kick off this season with a potluck of questions that our patrons have given us to answer. Uh, we're going to very briefly cover most of these questions, but if you'd like us to go in-depth in a future episode on any of the questions here, let us know and we'll definitely consider it. So, before we actually get into everything, I do want to take a moment to say, yes, we are live on Twitch chat, or Twitch We are going to be doing video and audio versions of the podcast from here on out. So, yeah, um, thank you to everybody who is joining us on Twitch, and we are going to get this show on the road. We've got just a list, a gigantic list of questions here that we're going to be answering. So uh, the first question is, how can food convey culture in RPGs? Oh, man, how can it? Uh, Yeah, wow, this is a huge topic, Uh, one I use a lot. Uh, First of all, like, I wrote an entire treatise on brewing and D&D and what different races would have as different brewing styles and different beer styles. Like humans would be like the masters of the wild ales. Uh, whereas like Dragonborn would do like dark stouts because they'd toast the uh, barley with their own breath. And like halflings would be good at IPAs because they like preserving beer. You could say a lot about a culture just by what kind of alcohol they produce. Well, not, and that's not even counting actual food stuff. Right. And then you get into the whole like like the elves make the super fancy elegant tiny dishes and then the dwarves just have these huge elaborate feasts that spread out on multiple tables and hunt feed hundreds of people so uh, you know what speaking of dwarves i take offense that dwarves well not offense i don't think dwarves should be all about ale i think dwarves should be all about wine for one thing they live long so they want something that lasts longer for another they live kind of up in mountainous regions which are a lot better at growing grapes than they are at growing barley and malts. And C, you could do like a uh, really aged and fortified alcohol compared to beer. Like to me, dwarves should be like masters of the port. I, I can see that. I kind of see that. I pictured them more, if you were going to go something other than ale, I'd lean more towards whiskeys. Whiskeys, bourbons, stuff that you can really age. Uh, you know, oddly, I see that with gnomes. Because I figured gnomes with the propensity for, like, making contraptions would have been the first race to come up with a still. Uh, we can't mention gnomes. As far as Nathan's concerned, they don't exist. Well, that's in one setting. <laughs> Gnomist. But yeah, I mean, as you can see, like, the moment you actually start thinking about what a culture or a person or an NPC would eat, you actually start thinking about them more deeply. I mean, like, gnomes exist. No, they don't. Stuff like that. Uh, when I started thinking about, like, well, what beer would dwarves really drink, it got me to think about dwarven culture in general and as a wider thing. That makes sense. And, and you know, that's that's true of any world-building type thing. You want to pick one thing and focus on it. So, like, 
if you're trying to make the dwarves in your setting unique, maybe the food is the one thing you start with, and then you kind of expand from there and be like, well, my dwarves are different because blank reason. There's also the fact that food, I think, is really easy to write descriptively, and so it's kind of a nice crutch for a lot of uh, people. I'm just reading the comments, and Mick is just rambling and making me laugh. <laughs> yeah, somewhere I'll have to dig up the article I wrote, because I've got a big old long treatise on brewing and D&D. Chimi, if you want a food description person, uh, check out the Imager Portfolio by L.E. Medeset Jr. He does food like it's a character in his book. It's crazy. Uh, so, in for tabletop, one thing I have done for some games is actually cooked a dinner that would match, like, the location they were in. Like, they were in Sarlona in Eberron, so I did some more, like, uh, like sushi, like, simple sushi and stuff like that to kind of just set the mood. Hmm. Like, I when I was... I had a game master that cooked for me. <laughs> oh, I cook every week. I try to cook every week. Well, I try to cook for my group whenever I can. Sometimes it doesn't work out, but... So... Uh, I guess let's go ahead. We're going to try and keep these answers pretty brief, but obviously if you guys want to see more of any specific question that we talk about, um, feel free. There's actually in the Twitch channel, there's a suggestion box down below where you can put uh, topic suggestions and you can also obviously contact us in any, any number of other ways. So if you, if you're interested in hearing about more of what we talk about in this episode, feel free to throw it out there. Um, so the next question is, how can it be unique and add to the story without being another poison? Uh, this is also in reference to food. Um, a, uh, well, I'm going back to fantasy, but what about Heroes Feast? What kind of Heroes Feast your cleric conjures could say a lot about your deity. Mm-hmm. I'll also say this, that food can become a central point of the plot when there is not enough of it around. So if there's a castle that's under siege, the lack of food is a big concern. Or if you go to a city and they need they need help with something, like maybe a dragon is preventing them from farming, then food suddenly becomes a very important resource that you can use in any number of adventures. Um, because I think most campaigns kind of take food for granted, but the lack of food can be a very motivating factor for any number of adventures. Colin, any thoughts you want to add to that? I honestly, the problem I've got is I stick more with the modern and sci-fi games, so a lot of that's already established or pulls from Earth culture. Well, the other thing you do in regards to those games is food then becomes like an early, early world games about trade. Right, right. I mean, food is something that every living being needs and so trading it becomes food then becomes kind of a trade thing yeah and then and then like in the sci-fi setting it can become about the disparity of food like if you have a planet a that produces way too much food and planet b doesn't get any of that food then suddenly you have this interplanetary conflict between the two planets that uh can be the impetus for an entire campaign it's be like well our entire goal is to get planet b enough food to survive I run sandboxes. If food becomes scarce, it's probably because my players made it happen. <laughs> well, in like post-apocalyptic games, food becomes critical. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And that is something I've been looking at a post-apoc game. I've Not any time soon, but eventually. 
Uh, check out Broken Earth. That's a fun setting. Well, there's actually one for the uh, Stars Without Number has a post-apoc right after the Scream setting slash rule system. And I'm kind of intrigued to do something like, you know, one of the industrial worlds when, hey, goodbye food shipments. Okay, so uh, our next question is... We've we've kind of answered this question already in a previous episode. I would have to look to know for sure which episode we've answered it in. But the question is, what makes a villain? Oh yeah, and, we yeah did we, we have an entire episode of villains. Yeah, we did. Um, there's a couple questions here that I want to I do want to answer, but we'll probably skip over that one. Um, and then I will refer you to the episode where we talked about villains. Which was... Seven? An episode at some point in some season. I believe Ruben... Uh, let's see. Seven or eight, I want to say. Uh, it was episode nine of season one, uh, when we talked about Big Bad Evil Guys. Okay. So, uh, if you want to hear us talk at length about villainy and what makes a villain, episode nine, season one. Um... But there is one, qu- a couple questions here that I do want to actually talk about real quick. So, how do you get into the villain's head without going too far down that path yourself? Um, I just pretend the villain's played by uh, Nick Cage. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. In other words, take it over the top a little bit. Yeah, make it obviously not you. Like, you have to separate... Like, I think that's true of any character, though. You have to separate yourself from your characters to a certain extent so that they don't become just an extension of you. The, um, frankly, this has never been a problem for me. Villains are so far removed from what I'm like that even kind of getting halfway there is such a stretch that... Right. It's much easier to say, well, the villain does this rather than say, I agree with the villain and I'm going to do that too. Well, half the times, I don't even, I'm not even thinking of it from the villain's point of view. I'm thinking of it from the hero's point of view and what would make an interesting challenge for the heroes, and then just sort of make up a motivation to fit that. I mean, I've got my demons, so really when I have a villain in play, I just let the demons drive. That also works. You know, like when they rode in Inquisitor for Nathan's game. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're not wrong. I, uh, well that or sometimes if I just want a really unlikable villain, I'll just base them on people I don't like. That's a good idea. All right, so next question is, uh, we'll, we'll answer one more from this category, but I do think we covered it quite in depth in that previous episode. But what is the difference between villainy and pure, unadulterated evil? And is there a difference? Uh, villainy has a motivation. Mm-hmm. Evil just kicks puppies. Mm-hmm. It's there, kick it, burn it, destroy it, blow it up. Right. I think villainy is a lot about intent. Because if you read about, like, people being evil, they're doing it because they think they are doing the right thing. They're not doing it because they think it's evil. They well, think they're actually... Or they're doing it out of self-interest. Well, yeah, like, they they think it will benefit them in some way, or they think it will um, make things around them better. So, if you have a villain, they're doing it because they think their way is legitimately the best. Someone who's evil is just doing it because they can, I think. Frankly, to me, outright evil just doesn't even think that far ahead. Right. Well, and you can also argue, too, some things, you know, 
you could argue that, say, Cthulhu. You could ascribe evil intent, but it's really more a perspective that doesn't understand that entity's intent. Uh, you know what? Villains make plans. Evil just acts. Uh, Tiffany Corda makes a good point. Villains are the heroes of their own story. That's that's an excellent point. I think that's a great distinction to make. You just beat me to that one. <laughs> um. So okay, let me let me throw out a hypothetical. The Joker, evil or villain? Should have been killed about twenty years ago. That one, I'd argue. Well, even he's just evil. He's straight up. Really, uh, I don't see why the Batman hasn't killed him decades ago, evil. Because it's Batman, guns bad, blah blah blah. <laughs> sure. uh, twisted code of honor. Mick the Rogue, I think, put it nicely. Uh, Thanos is a villain, the Joker is evil. Yep. Well, and the Joker's motivations really are to just wreak havoc and cause chaos. Any plans, any short-term goals are really dedicated to kill them all, destroy them all, watch the world. Frankly, Joker is just a plot device. That's fair. All right, let's move on from villains. Um, So this next section of questions is kind of geared towards getting a a campaign started. So the first question is, it's hard to start at level one and survive, yet all adventure paths, well, most of them, start you out at first level. A wise cleric could TPK a first level party with negative energy channels and inflict spells. How do you counter this, and should you? So I, I, uh, if we ignore the D&D-specific terminology, it's basically how do we prevent level 1 characters who are so weak from being immediately killed by something they shouldn't be? Uh, I just don't start my players that low. If I do start them that low, I make sure they go in with the understanding that, oh, your adventure is great. That doesn't somehow make you capable of tackling everything you run across. As long as I found, as long as I start the game with them aware that they're just in the story. Yeah, they're adventurers. They're better than the average commoner. It doesn't mean they're going to be able to take on anything that they see. I mean, for me, if I'm running the game, well, and if you're running like an adventure module, it's because I like the storyline. I want the storyline to work. I can't do that if I keep killing the characters every so often. So. I just make the starting characters more powerful. Like, specifically for D&D, one thing I've done that helps immensely but doesn't overpower them at all, instead of starting hit points being, like, your hit die plus your constitution modifier, it's just starting hit die plus your constitution score. Hmm. At first level, that's a huge amount of extra hit points. By about level four, you don't even notice. Yeah, I could see that. Um, I, I do have a little bit of an anecdote for this. Um, so my real-life campaign right now... Um, I actually have a, this similar, well, not similar problem, but I have the exact opposite problem where my players are too powerful for the challenges I've been throwing at them. And I think that's partly my own fault because of poor campaign planning. But also, I specifically made this next session that we're going to do much more difficult and much more deadly to kind of bring back that sense of threat, I guess, is the way to explain it. So... It's possible to go too overboard 
with giving your players advantages, I think. So you have to kind of strike a careful balance. If you're going to buff them, don't buff them so much that it makes them invincible later. Well, it's way easier to begin challenging the powerful party than it is to bring back from dead a beginning party that was too weak. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the older I get, the more pro player I get, and the more I just want to see them kind of do awesome. So it's because you're nicer. (laughs) Maybe I don't have as much to prove. All right, so this next question kind of encapsulates the next two questions. So, um, you meet in the bar is a cliche. Do you allow your characters to form bonds before the game starts? Uh, I insist on it. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, unless it's specifically, like, zombie survival and I want it to, like, increase the tension. For the most part, yeah, I'll... You start out knowing each other. In fact, give me some good bonds I can exploit. Mm-hmm. So, Colin, how would you do something like that in a sandbox type game? Well, usually a bar is involved. <laughs> I mean, Frankly, I love the you meet in a bar. You know, it's not... I don't do the, oh, you know, so you're all in this bar, okay, and you've all known each other for years. I don't do that. Um, but so... You know what's even better? A bar fight. Yes, yes. But I mean... Especially in Mythweavers games, just because, unfortunately, we do have to select players and cut out some people. Usually it winds up in a bar because it's a good, neutral setting to get a feel for writing styles, watch how the players' characters interact, all that. I love having pre-game in-character stuff because it just lets you get a feel for everyone. Right. The last couple yeah. games I've run, I've done this, where I've done like a just a free roleplay thread where people can post as they please. And I like doing like, that too, especially as I'm doing applications. Right. It's only stressful when you've got something like the rubric of death that Nathan uses. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then you're all talking in the end character chat, and you're, oh, okay, I think I'm okay. You know, I'm a 24. I should be okay. And then. Oh, hey, let's extend the application window for a week. No comment. Um, (laughs) So Chibi also brings up a good alternative, the market square during the festival. Really, uh, there are like multiple variations on we meet in a bar. I've done uh, meet during a bank robbery for a modern game. I, I wouldn't even call that similar. I'd call that creative and completely different. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, maybe not. Um, <laughs> uh, you meet on a voyage for like a steampunk or a some other game. Yeah. Like, I like, like I like that one a lot. Starting on like a ship or an airship of some kind. Like everybody's going to the same place. Uh, I've also had uh, for a D and D game. I had you meet after failing your first adventure. Hmm. So I let people figure out why they failed the first adventure upon their first meeting. Hmm. Sort of a plane crash. <laughs> I mean, Only Tiffany's Tiffany's contribution of hiring a hall is, yeah, reasonable. Chimi, everyone has taken a job as a caravan guard. Reasonable. Actually, half the time for stuff like that, I like starting the entire campaign with roll initiative. Yeah, that's that kind of sets the tone, like right out of out of the gates. It's like roll initiative. You're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, we got a, we got quite a few more actually. Um. This next one is kind of focused on Discord, which is growing in popularity on Mythweavers. Um, I don't know if people really know, but we have over 700 members on the Mythweavers Discord server, 
which is just an insane oh. number to me. Like, I can't wrap my brain around that. So It's, it's a lot. Yeah. Like um, 700. Over 700, yeah. I think, actually, we're probably oh. over 800 at this point. I haven't checked lately. Oh, I'm checking. No wonder it takes so long to scroll down and find someone. <laughs> nope, we are sub-700. We are 688. Okay, so we're oh. close. The last purge was thorough. Yeah, it was. <laughs> All right, so let's let's talk about what are some of the pros and cons of hybrid games. And when we say hybrid games, we mean a game that is recruited for on Mythweavers, but the primary play takes place on, like, Discord. Um, I've never run one. Pros, combat's a lot faster. Yes. Con, you have to actually have players who are in roughly the same time zone. Yeah. Or who have roughly similar off-time... I mean, frankly, most of the cons, or most of the pros, are about the same pros you'd get with a tabletop group. Speed's faster, more immediate response, you can hear voices, you can use maps, because you can use map tools and stuff like that. And most... The cons are the same cons of why you can't play a tabletop game. Yeah. There's more flexible scheduling and that sort of thing. Right. Well, you don't have to do it with voice, though. That's That's true. true. You can do it with type. I mean, we've had... I think it's still running because we've got a few game tables on the main Mythweaver server, and no, it looks like it. I think they're on hold. Uh, but Basil, Call Me Fate, Sarah Hawk, and Ambika have been running a text only, and that has been the game that they've been running on the Mythweavers Discord server has been all text, and they just run it through the day as they can post. Yeah. Uh, in w- which case, then it's a lot more like a um, just an accelerated uh, play-by-post. Effectively, yes. Yeah. My big, a my biggest... Dramatically, dramatically accelerated. Uh, I have been like using Discord more in some of my games for like the little incidental stuff. I mean, I I've got found... a server for out-of-character. Yeah, I have found that having a Discord server has helped immensely in being able to very quickly communicate with my players, if necessary. Oh yeah, uh, I have a big private one too. So, here's a hypothetical for you guys. What about a only Discord game? Like, no Mythweavers involved at all? It's basically a tabletop game. You'd have to be really good at pinning stuff, and probably have a Dropbox or some other way to share like stuff like character sheets. But uh, I just I wanted to throw the idea out there because I know um, Mythweavers is and will always be a play-by-post first website. But uh, with with more and more people moving to Discord, it just seems likely that at some point we'll see people start to do Discord-only games, like recruit directly from the Discord. I will counter-argue the Mythweavers existing primarily as a play-by-post website. Well... That's because you know what's coming in the future. Well, um, it's it's not even just that. I mean, there is the future. Spoilers, folks. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, 80% of our active user base is sheets only. They never talk in the forums. And that's not a bad thing. That's true. That's not a bad thing. It's We are, I would argue, Mythweaver's primary purpose is a character sheet repository. I think we do that well. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think we're, I mean, we're still gearing up for the next version of character sheets to make the back end better without changing everyone's stuff. 
that's the important note. Nothing is going to change that the players see. They're not going to have to make new sheets. The coding's just going to get a lot better. Mm-hmm. Well, and it'll also let us upgrade the sheets easier. Because there's some of those sheets I coded early that, man, I really want to... <laughs> I want another big run at. <laughs> so, okay, I, I might be a little too young for this one, but is Discord <laughs> the new mush, mucks, or mud? I have no idea what those are. Multi-user dungeon? Multi-user... Oh, I forgot what mush stood for. Um, so... Way back in the olden days. You know, when floppies it. were five inches. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, and we had to dial in with the telephone. Uh, I can hear the modem sounds now. How they haunt me in my dreams. Um, no, they were basically MMOs way before there were MMOs. Oh, so you gotcha. have, um, you'd have a simple, it's like a text adventure. It's like Zork, a multi-user like Zork, but it also had a chat feature. No, um, yeah, they might be. But I don't think the old ones are ever going to die just because there are so many hardcore people who still like playing them. But as we get more and more advanced bots, I could totally see running a full-on MUD using nothing but Discord. I, at, in, in its current state, I would say Discord is not one of those. In the future, there is no reason why it couldn't be. All it takes yes, is, is one bot to do it and to do it well, and suddenly Discord is like the, the place to do that. Up until right. Valve buys them. <laughs> okay, so I think we're going to skip over these next couple Discord questions. They're they're more about, like, organizing your Discord server and who oh, you... Oh, I could go into that in detail, but I'm I very organized I don't think it would be very thrilling content. Yeah, I think ultimately for those two questions, it comes down to organize it the way you want it organized and let in the people you want in. Like, that's ultimately what it comes down to, I think. Now, here's an actual question that I really, really like. Mythweavers is a competitive forum. There are fewer openings on games than players who want to join the game. As such, the application and, centrally, the background has become extremely important. People can use it to show a character's personality, to show their quirks and fears, to show what um, brought them to the point narratively, or to the start of the campaign narratively. It can have plot hooks, and uh, it can show willingness to in- to invest in the campaign. So how do we know when a player has gone too over the top with those sorts of things? I would say a good application process shouldn't take somebody more than a couple of hours. And these days, the more applicants I have, the less I actually want to read. And so... You know, if you're a good writer, you should be able to convey everything you need in 500 words or less. I believe it was Mark Twain once said, I didn't have the time to write you a short letter, so I wrote you a long one instead. Yep. Um, that that speaks volumes to me. If, if you cannot express everything you need to express in a time-effective manner, then you've gone over the top. Well, and I think one of the things that not a lot of people think about, but I certainly do, is... Because it's a forum and it records all your past games, it's really easy to go back and see what a pay- player has written for a past character. Now, it doesn't work for new players, but for anybody who's been around the site for any length of time, one thing I always do is go back through their history and see what they're like when the game actually gets going. And so for a lot of times, like my new format, uh, if you're an existing player, just provide me a link to a few of the games you think you were good in or a couple of good passages. 
If you're new, then you have to give me a writing sample. I think, too, when it comes to the character background, the character description, especially in the systems where you're going to have a lot of applicants, so especially D&D 5th Ed, Pathfinder, I'm sure eventually Pathfinder 2, and to a lesser extent, 3.5, you gotta, as a game master, you've got to set some, not necessarily strict boundaries, but say, you know, roughly this many words minimum, roughly this many maximum. Give them a feel for what you're looking for. Don't, if you leave it open-ended, you're going to get some novels because they're trying to figure out what you want and you haven't told them. And that's not their fault. That's the game master's fault for not specifying. Been there, done that. (laughs) Oh, we know. (laughs) And now the rest of Twitch knows, but yes, we know, Nathan. Eh, That's all right. So the next question is, when is a character overdeveloped and leaves no room to grow as a character? It's a a tough one. It's like like defining pornography. You'll know it when you see it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's one way to phrase it. I mean, but you're right, though. It is kind of one of those things, like, you'll know it when you see it. Um, There's no rule that says, if a player does X, then their character is overdeveloped. There's no, like, hard and fast rules for that sort of thing. I would argue that, especially for lower-level games, if it's a first-level character and their background involves multiple military campaigns (laughs) and... You know, before the military, you know, they got on a couple of misadventures and what... They're probably overdeveloped for a level 1 through 5 character. True. Unless your name is Old Bob the Porter, who was like the porter for like a couple of adventuring parties, then joined the army as like a scrub boy, and now at the age of 70 is starting his first adventure. (laughs) Finally got enough experience. I think a good rule of thumb is if a character's backstory could be its own campaign then they're overdeveloped. I would even... Yeah, that's another good one. To me, if you can't summarize it in 500 or five hundred words, too developed. So let's, let's answer some kind of opinionated questions. What turns you off of a character? Extreme tragedy early in the character's life. Yes. My <laughs> parents are dead! <laughs> I was an orphan, and none of the other orphans liked me. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah, every one of the characters I make, both his parents are living, he probably has a couple of siblings. If I see evil, I just, I hate evil characters. I don't run for them. Oh, lone wolves. I'm the gruff loader who loans alone at night. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, you can just the alone alone at night. The sword master? You know, uh, pretty much almost anything with an anime influence, but that's just me personally. If it's D&D, uh, if you write down chaotic neutral, I'm probably not going to like that. There, there's a reason I outright ban chaotic neutral in most of my games. Yep. No evil, no chaotic neutral. To me, chaotic neutral just reads, I do what I want. The way I read it is a lot more profane. Well, yes, that's the nice version. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'd far rather have like a lawful evil character than a chaotic neutral character. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Because at least they're rational actors. That's true. Now, what do you like to see in a character? You followed my formatting for the post exactly. <laughs> God, yes. Um, anyone who has seen my rubric should know what I like. Yes, yeah, so um, let's talk about the Dread rubric again. Um, so my rubric is a 25-point scale 
that I use to judge applications. As Colin just laughs at me. So it, believe it or not, it sounds crazy, but everyone who scores well on the rubric comes up with some of the best characters I've ever seen. And if someone scores really well on the rubric more than once, they're a player I would be interested in gaming with in real life. So that's kind of what the rubric is for. Yeah, I need to borrow your rubric at one point. I'm going to need it for a future game. Okay. <laughs> to demoralize uh, the applicants. Something like that. Uh, for me also, I find the more information you convey in a smaller amount of space, like if your entire application is under like a thousand words, that's usually a pretty good sign. I also really like it when people actually pay attention to the plot hooks and everything I've thrown out, just as the campaign pitch and made an effort to actually fit into the setting and game. Now, I will say this about the rubric. I have told people before, and I will tell people again, a perfect score on my rubric can be obtained with 20 sentences. It's never and been bribery. done. It's Challenge never been accepted. done. It's never been done, but it can be done. Yeah, I have my own kind of private point system. Mm-hmm. It's like a 50-point scale. Uh, not following the formatting that I asked for is minus 30 points. Wow. I mean, for me, not following the formatting is you're not even eligible to play. You couldn't read the character application guidelines. Right. Yeah. Read the directions. Oh, you know what? I really like it if, like, people actually mention their family or, like, just some mundane thing. Mm-hmm. If you're doing D&D, like, what do your tool proficiencies say about you? I like, mean, I love your... the family. Future blackmail is always nice. I don't even usually use it for that. It just says to me that you've thought more about the character than what their class happens to be. Um, so Chibi Amy is asking if we can have, like, a weekly or monthly challenge thread. And I like that idea. But I do not have the time to maintain it. Let me sleep on it. Yeah, and Mordai points out we did have... We used to have uh, monthly challenges in the GM workshop. I don't think that... When was the last one? Does anyone know? Don't. No, don't. Don't. It's going to be a long time ago. We're going to feel old. 2015, (laughs) I want to say. Oh, God, was it that recent? (laughs) So, anyway, I, I will also ponder the idea... I have also considered setting up um, a character workshop of sorts where people can just throw character ideas out there and I will grade them on the rubric. That might be more feasible at some point. But bringing back the monthly challenges, I don't know if that's in the realm of possibility at the moment. I have thoughts not necessarily towards that, but I've got thoughts towards the future for things like that that I can't discuss yet. Okay. Because spoilers. <laughs> right. All right. Um, let's do one more question. Uh, when um, should you move from a narrative background to a bulleted list? If more than six things happen to you. Yeah, give me the highlights by that point. Yeah, that's that's a good point. If you're going to write 5,000 wor- words for your backstory, give me a bulleted list first. And then I will decide if it's worth spending the time to actually read it. Yeah, I, so yeah, just something for players in general. Think about how long it takes you to create one character application. Now think how long it takes us GMs to read 30 of those. Hell, we're gearing up for a creative writing contest. I mean, we're going to have to read all those. That's true. Well, uh, now I'm going to let Mr. Whiskey read most of them. <laughs> <laughs> all um, right. So One thing from the chat, real quick, relating sure, to the writing challenges, all that. 
unspeakable. You are not allowed to submit any characters from real tabletop sessions to any challenge Nathan is grading or <laughs> any of us are grading. <laughs> I've had to play with your table, like at the table characters before. They're horrifying. <laughs> Hilarious, but horrifying. We're not doing that to the site staff. That's awesome. Oh, you know what? And if we can do like a theme writing, I know the one I want to judge is going to be paladins because I like paladins. <laughs> All right. This week's game of the week is Rapan Athuk, a D&D 5th edition game being run by none other than B. Watford. It wouldn't be a weaving myths unless he if he didn't get a game of the week every season. Uh, Rapan Athuk is a legendary mega dungeon by Frog God Games and Necromancer Games. To quote B. Watford, it is nothing less than a good, old-fashioned 1st edition dungeon crawl updated to the 5th edition rule set. The players of this game are in the service of the Great Downward Engineering Company and have been tasked with exploring Rapan Athuk in its entirety. The characters for the game will be starting at 3rd level, which I personally think is a sweet spot for D&D 5th edition. It's when the characters are starting to come into their own as heroes and adventurers, but aren't quite ready to tackle every challenge thrown at them. If you've never applied for a B. Watford game before, I strongly encourage you to do so for no other reason than to have the experience. B. Watford's character creation process is one of the most detailed and mind-bogglingly awesome experiences you'll ever have making a character. Even if you aren't accepted into the game, it's still worth doing. The application period for Rapan Athuk ends on August 25th, so there's plenty of time to get in an application. And knowing B. Watford, you should definitely apply. Um, so yeah, now it is time for the free-for-all. Uh, so the free-for-all segment of the show is back again. It's in this segment of the show, we're going to open the floor for questions and answers. Um, this time from the text chat, rather than a list of pre-created questions. Um, we're also going to allow me and my fellow casters to talk about anything we'd like. As always, this is going to be pretty unstructured, but it gives us the freedom to talk, to talk about things and still answer questions as they come in. So before we get started, we have the mandatory question. What's making us happy this week? We will start with Ruben. Oh, man. So the Wayfinder's Guide to Eberron dropped for 5th edition, which is awesome. It's got the updated rules for Eberron stuff. And oh, man, am I going to run a game in that setting? <laughs> All right. Colin, what's making you happy? I caught that I misread the vehicle manual earlier today and didn't run my car with the wrong oil in it. So that's... <laughs> so as someone who knows nothing about cars, what are the possible consequences of doing that? Well, with what I was going to run, it just would have burned oil a lot and rather rapidly. Mm. Uh, the opposite is you could also lock your engine up. Yep, if you put in a thicker mix when the engine's supposed to be running on something thinner. In this okay. case, it was thinner when it should have been thicker. Gotcha. Okay, uh, so what's making me happy this week is, for the most part, this first episode of Video Weaving Myths has gone really well. So <laughs> we've had one minor te technical difficulty, and so far I'm really happy with how things are going. So I'm excited to be back doing Weaving Myths, and I really missed it, and I wish we had had t the time. Yeah, really. I wish we had had the time to do a couple patrons episodes in the off season, but scheduling was crazy, and we'll figure it out. So... For those of you waiting for the patrons episodes, they are coming, I promise, eventually. <laughs> He's on video record saying it now, you know it's true. Yes. It'll calm down after your wedding. Yeah, right? Oh my god. Oh, yeah, by the way, that uh, invitation was lovely. Oh, was it? Yay. 
Uh, Mrs. Nate picked that out, actually. I kind of figured. <laughs> I assumed as much. Hell, even Blood Gem. Oh, she must have picked it out. <laughs> Gee, thanks, guys. I I, kn- I know who who gets all the credit now. <laughs> well, I mean, we like her better too, so that's fair. <laughs> hey, you know what you should do for the wedding, though? Grow a beard. <laughs> uh, you know, to be honest, I've actually tried to grow a beard Doesn't multiple times, well. and it doesn't grow in thick enough. It's too patchy. So that's fair. I mean, genetics are what they are sometimes. Yep. Um, I could that's probably. Actually... I could probably grow a pretty killer mustache, but beyond that, that seems really unlikely. That's yeah, fair. I'm a, I'm a little patchy kind of right there. I can go a wicked really long, though, like the heavy metal basis goatee, though. I can do a good <laughs> one of those. I won the genetics lottery for the beard thing, so... Yeah, the weird thing is my dad's super freaking hairy. Like, he's got the full-on Selleck mustache. He can do the Civil War mutton chops... Can you get a tattoo beard? Is that a thing? Actually, yeah. Yes, Some people actually can. do get a permanent five o'clock shadow, like, tattooed. Hmm. <laughs> I saw that moment of contemplation. No, no, it was more like, why would anyone ever? Um, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I'm judging you on your alcohol, Nathan. That's okay. So, uh, Eric just tossed out, you know, that, hey, we should really, uh, either create an advertising budget or... Not have labels flashing around. Oh, yeah, probably. I mean, honestly, I'm not overly worried. We don't exactly uh, blow up the Twitch uh, servers with our viewer count. Yeah, that's true. Not saying we don't love you all. Just, you know, we're not pulling in hundreds of viewers. <laughs> Eric is right. Not yet. Mm, I'm drinking cola brand cola. <laughs> <laughs> Refreshing. You know, believe it or not, I have actually considered looking into getting sponsored. Um, it's it's kind of a terrifying prospect, but it makes me think of something like on the Truman Show. <laughs> the way his wife is always going, let me make you hot cocoa. I found this brand of hot cocoa, blah, 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 blah. Oh, God. I just watched the Truman Show last week. It's fresh in my head again. It is a fantastic movie. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Um, I mean, there are plenty of people out there who could we could consider getting to sponsor the show. I mean, like, we could get Audible, Squarespace. I mean, y- you know, we don't have a small viewership. We're not like one of those podcasts that gets, like, one listen every week. We get, like, I mean, we get probably at least 100 listens per episode. So it's not like we're small. Minimum. I, I think the first episode of Weaving Myths has, like, Almost 500-ish, somewhere in that range. Define first episode. The real first episode, or what we're calling the first episode? The real, uh, episode one. Oh, thank God. Have we nuked (laughs) episode zero yet? Can we nuke episode zero? Do you really want to nuke episode zero? God, yes. It it couldn't have, okay, it can't have been that bad. Nathan, it's us talking and you telling everyone what we said because we didn't even have group audio work. (laughs) That's why it's episode zero. <laughs> and responding to the chat, unspeakable. If we got sponsored, I'm not the one that needs to be muzzled. It just means we could never have David on the video chat. Mm. To be fair, David hasn't been on the video chat since that uh, drunken profanity incident, which was hilarious. Editing that episode was not fun. <laughs> <laughs> 
editing that episode was fantastic from what you told us. Oh yeah, it was the best. You shortened, what, 20 minutes from that episode just from filtering language? Yeah, basically. Wow. <laughs> it, it, I don't think it was quite that bad. I think it was closer to 15. Rubes, were you around for that or was that Eric? I don't remember. Okay, no, you weren't around then. You would have remembered this because it was David swearing, usually involving something that starts with F, realizing he said it. Oh God, and the no, realization I that. came with other profanity, <laughs> and then realizing that the realization right. involved, pro- yeah, <laughs> I like- might have been there. I mean, did it need to be edited as much as the one actual play, the uh, Quag's actual play? What? The the steampunk gangsters we did, the actual play. Oh, you know that went up unedited, right? Oh, God. oh Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Ruben, you were gone before the game started. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I mean, I it, it was a patrons-only thing, so I didn't have to edit it, technically. That's Speaking true. Of, um, I want to pose a question to the text chat. Um... Do you guys want the fully unedited versions of the episodes uploaded to the Patreon? How many pa- Well, Amy's in the Patreon, Unspeakable's a patron. Chimi's a patron. For values of patrons, yes, Chimi is a patron. That's looking positive. Amy values us so much that she doesn't even watch them, she wants it live. That's fair. Hey, Nathan. Yeah? Are those Magic the Gathering boxes on that bookshelf back there? Yes, yes they are. I knew it. Yep. Uh, I've got... Let me see. Let me see if I can line up my finger. So up here, up here, <laughs> is all my fat packs and commander decks. Uh, down here, I've got all my like RPG books. And then down here, I've got my actual booster boxes. So, yeah, this shelf here is most of the gaming stuff I'm using right now. There's like more there than behind the entryway. And then for cards, I've got... Here's three of the current ones. <laughs> these are the stuff I'm using right now. I've got seven more of these in storage. See, I'm trying to get rid of all my boxes like that. I actually need to take them over to Star City and yep. just sell them. And this is just all nothing but decks. See, I I don't have... Well, no. I've got a couple very basic decks somewhere in the basement. Yeah, no, somewhere in the basement there's still a couple magic decks. Well, you know what else has really been making me happy, too? The Magic the Gathering Arena beta. You know, I've actually been playing that a lot, and I've really been enjoying it. I did not expect I would. Oh, man, I love it. I could actually <laughs> draft. I love drafting. Hey, guys, real quick, just like to drag your attention to Tiffany's comment. It's like a Mythweaver's Cribs episode. Oh. <laughs> it sure is. I mean, like, over here I've got uh, Mrs. Nate's desk, um, all of her, like, craft supplies. Uh, I think down... Uh, down here, I've got just like a box of keyboards and stuff. Um, up at the top of this shelf is where all my playmats are. Um, behind the gate over here is where my cat litter boxes are. Oh, see, that's one of the cats right there. <laughs> that's the kitchen. That's the big mess of all of our con badges from over the years. Oh, there's my fishing pole. <laughs> I have yeah. no other place to put it unspeakable mrs collins machine shop is in the garage that's not in the house oh yeah and up there that's a seth thomas clock 1816 so you can't even see any of the stuff in the office here because all right so 
blood gem stuff is over here. <laughs> Gaming books are out of camera over there. I mean, See, I don't have a garage, we just pulled out so a blood gem computer and that's here. Oh yeah, and then I got we can't see it. I need a mirror bounce. See all the <laughs> statues lined across my desktop. <laughs> so, question, when did we take that break to refill and such? I don't know, 15, 20 minutes ago? Yeah, about 20 minutes ago. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, if it makes you feel better, we're coming up on the end of the show. Um, so if you guys have any last-minute questions... Before he cancels the uh, recording and we move to After Dark. Hey, look, whiskey. Oh, man, you're making me oh, jealous. Speaking of After Dark, uh, After Dark will not be on Twitch. It will be on Discord. What? Well, then nobody else but- can talk to us. But Nathan, no, what are you talking? No, it's going to be in the li- in the big group thing for weaving. Oh, myths. oh, that's yeah. No, that makes sense. We go to the Discord so people can audio chat. Yeah, we're not going to. Well, oh my God, no, we're not going to do a giant Discord call with a bunch of people. <laughs> uh, Discord taps out after uh, eight six, people, doesn't it? I think it. Yeah, I think it was seven. That's an odd number to cap out on. It's got. So anyway, yeah, uh, the Mythweavers After Dark is going to be back on the Mythweavers Discord server in the Weaving Myths voice channel. Hey, uh, okay, so yeah, we'll do that. Yeah. Hey, Ruben. Yeah. Something you'll appreciate. This uh, this oh. whiskey. This whiskey has directions to use the cork as a fishing bobber after you're done. Oh, that's excellent. It's even the right <laughs> like instructions. Oh yeah, like, yeah. No, it's. My grandfather class. taught me how to make one of those. All right. Um, let's see. Yeah, I guess let's let's get this show on the road. Um, so before we get to the Patreon script, I want to make an announcement. Um, on August 18th, we are participating in a 24-hour live stream event. Um, it is for charity, and... Burly Beard Gaming is going to help us organize, and we are going to be participating in that. Um, We will be giving away a number of prizes, and the grand prize is actually a copy, is a Nintendo Switch and a copy of The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. So we are giving away a Switch plus plus Zelda, um, which actually, (laughs) I'm, uh, I'm wearing my Zelda shirt today, so... Oh, yeah, I should have worn mine. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we're going to be giving away a Switch plus Zelda. We're going to be giving away a couple other prizes. I know Farland... Oh, wait, no. Farland is for the contest. Um, yeah, Farland's the writing contest. Yep, that's but, coming, yeah. not yet announced. Yep, so August 18th, Burly Beard Gaming, 24-hour charity live stream. All donations go to charity. So, be there. Because it's going to be awesome. We're going to have a blast. We're going to play video games. Ruben's going to get everybody on Left 4 Dead. Um, we're going to play a bunch of different games. Uh, so, yeah. Be there. It's going to be really, really cool. Oh, and uh, just for reference, since we mentioned the charity. And Nathan, you get to bleep this one out. The charity involved is called Fuck Cancer. Yep. It's a all proceeds they use towards cancer research believe treatments and helping uh those afflicted with cancer dealing with the fact that they've got it helping with the morale side yep so aside from being a really cool gaming event it also goes to a very good cause so make sure you show up watch for a little while maybe throw a donation in um 
So, yeah, we would definitely appreciate that, and we will look forward to seeing you there. That, or maybe I'll try and get, you know what, Call and I should have a couple of belts of whiskey, and then we should both try and play Portal 2 together. <laughs> that oh, would be God. awesome. I'm in. I'm down. All okay. right. So, um, Chibi Amy asked, yes, there will be links. There will For YouTube, there will be links down in the description. Um, for the audio podcast listeners, there will be... Um, links in the forum post on Mythweavers. Um, so yeah, we are going to have links to all of that stuff, so you can look and check out the charity, you can look and check out when the live stream is, so yeah, we'll, we'll have all that information for you. Andrew, yes, Drunk Portal will happen. Mick, no, we're not going to drink every time we swear, because the last thing anyone will see of Ruben or me is the paramedics carrying us out. <laughs> yep, that's very true. An important uh, note. These will be gaming live streams. They will not be in compliance with Mythweaver's PG-13 policy. Correct, yeah. So uh, for those of you who are wondering, this is we are partnering with Burly Beard Gaming to make this happen, but it is not going to follow the Mythweaver's rules. So I get to let the uh, sailor language out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get back to the scripts. Um, so I would like to take just a moment to remind everyone that this episode of Weaving Myths is made possible by our Patreon. Um, actually, I would like to point out that a direct contribution of the patrons is that all four hosts, myself, Ruben, Colin, and Eric, all got brand new webca- web uh, webcams. So the patrons made this possible. Um, I can't stress that enough that we appreciate every contribution you guys give us, and, um... We're constantly working to make the the podcast better. Yeah, so th- thank you all very much for helping to make this happen. So mm-hmm. for those of you that don't know, uh, Patreon is a method for content creators to gain income through the support of those who consume the content. Our Patreon offers a multitude of ways to support the show, and you'll get awesome rewards for signing up under any of the tiers. Uh, contributions start at as little as $1 per month, so it doesn't take much at all to show your support. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash mythweavers. All contributions to the Patreon go to paying for online hosting of the show and supporting Mythweavers, the site that we are all staff members on. I already mentioned this, but the new video format that you're seeing now was made possible by our incredibly generous patrons. Um, one last thing I should note, Weaving Myths is, always has been, and will always continue to be free, and signing up for the Patreon is never required, but we do appreciate everyone who signs up. Full episodes are always uploaded to SoundCloud within two days of the episode being recorded, and all normal episodes will always be available for download or streaming free of charge. Um, before we go, I have a couple shoutouts for patrons who have contributed at the $15 or higher tier. Um, so John D, Amanda C, Michael B, Brendan M, Claire F, Amy G, and Christopher M. Thank you all so much for your support. You guys made this video podcast possible. Um, so, or you helped make it possible. So we appreciate everything. We appreciate everything you do. Um, so thank you everyone so much for joining us today. It's been a blast and we appreciate all of the comments and questions from the text chat. As always, I'm Nathan. I've been joined by the magnificent Ruben. Hi. And Colin. Pleasure as always, folks. So thanks for listening and keep on weaving those myths.